There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Welcome to Falling Pieces. I'm Terry. A podcast dedicated to the NBC series Debris. I'm Sean Fangirl S. Exclusively on the Fangirl Zone, I'm Steve. And this is your trio of terror here, uh, ready to uh, rock your world podcast-wise. And we thought we would introduce ourselves and let you know why we're here. Uh, I'm Terry, and I've been in podcasting for now 11 years as of this year. And I've done various podcasts talking about Doctor Who and uh, Orphan Black, and now talking about uh, Infringe as well, which uh, J.H. was involved with before. And uh, now I'm talking about a new project of his, Debris with Falling Pieces. So that's me. I'm Sean Fangirl S. I've been doing podcasting for nine years this year. Woohoo! Uh, yes. After having a huge, awesome fangirl moment at one of the local cons, uh, got me into this, and I'm super excited because one person who happens to be in our pilot episode has spanned across several of the shows that we've talked about on both <laughs> Fangirl Zone and our previous uh, life in podcasting, which you might find it on From the Vault soon. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm Steve, and Fringe was what got me into podcasting, even though I listened to it first before I got my feet wet in the water, but I've been podcasting with Sean for at least seven, eight years now, even though not all of it was on the Fangirl Zone, but 90% of it was, and I am so glad to have J.H. back in control of a series again. Yes. You know, guys, I do have to say... This is kind of perfect timing for this to come out. And I say that because I'm fingers and toes crossed that all our conventions are coming back because it'd be really great to have him and the show at one of the conventions because Absolutely. that's where I got to see some of the stuff before. And, you know, I'm like, yes, they always show the coolest stuff. So that's what I'm hoping for again. You scared me. I thought you were going to say it's perfect timing because stuff was falling out of the sky right now. <laughs> I'm not going to chicken little it just yet. You know, a lot of us have a lot of snow on our roofs and we are worried yeah. personally of about our roofs coming crashing in so yeah. i don't want to chicken little anything good idea good <laughs> idea um so the reason we're here is basically we're kind of moving from not moving on from but moving from jj to jh we're swapping one whole letter and we're talking about debris which is a new nbc show that focuses on fbi agent brian benavetti venti excuse me played by Jonathan Tucker, well-known across many of sh- 
shows and films, and MI6 agent Finola Jones, played by Ryan Steele, also known across many genres. And they're joining forces in a secretive international agency called Orbital. It's a good name. Uh, which investigates alien debris falling to Earth and what it does. So today we are recapping Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot. Why are all the pilots called Pilot? <laughs> we got to look into that. And with that, let's go through the pieces. Can I just say, it would be great if the second episode was then called Co-Pilot. <laughs> just to mess with all of us. <laughs> and then the third one is Passenger. Something. I just want... I mean, we get enough, like, trolling on, like, recaps usually. Oh. But now I want them to totally troll us with... <laughs> episode titles episode yeah. four somebody is, make that happen <laughs> episode four is flight attendant <laughs> <laughs> snack service mechanic uh, <laughs> troll tower I how many yeah. people would be so mad <laughs> yeah really oh <laughs> uh, let's start with uh, a group of troublemakers we have three guys first we see a seller who is the person that i happen to be talking about michael eklund who has been across several of the shows that uh, yeah. i podcast about that's Steve and I have podcasted about, yep. and it's amazing, and I'm so distraught that it seems, and I say seems because I think we all know nothing is ever final in these kind of shows. <laughs> True. But it seems like he may not have made it. No. Yeah. Michael Eklund's character basically is selling items of a certain type, and no, not drugs, thankfully, but it seems to be just as wanted as some drugs. Yeah. Uh, it's little pieces of debris, and special cases in which to carry them through security, which kind of makes me wonder. We are being thrown in without getting a whole lot of backstory, mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if I like that just yet. Uh -oh. We'll see, but we do have our Orbital team, which is comprised of FBI and MI6, which, again, thought that was kind of interesting, and I'm hoping that comes a little bit more in the future with an explanation. We find out that they are there to see Michael Eklund's character, and I'm just going to call him Michael Eklund because we never actually got a name from him. <laughs> And and they're not just trying to question him. Apparently, he's a really wanted guy. But yeah. he gets his big briefcase full of cash, and that's a lot of cash, because if anybody's worked with money, you know, unless those are singles, that's a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, hey, guys, by the way, I happen to find this on the black market. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So, yeah. hey, you want this? Give me more money, and you can have it. And next thing we know, oh, crap. Third guy down in the lobby is like, hey, guys, you need to run because the cops are coming. Uh -oh. We need to book it. They got up 14 stories pretty fast, mind you. And I know elevators move quick, but why is it when I'm waiting for one? It always <laughs> I mean, just side note. Yes, there. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, squirrel. All right, let's go back. <laughs> the two guys managed to make it out. The bad guys, because we don't know who they are. And mm -hmm. uh, Mike Lecklin's character is like, crap, crap, cops are here. What do I do? So he stashes the unsold item in a random like desk in the hallway. Um, is this dumb. normal? No. no. Well, he was hoping to come back and get it afterwards if he actually made it out in one piece. Yeah, okay. Like, 
They weren't going to. Well, why not? Why not hide it? Why not hide it somewhere in a room that you could later check? You know, ask for that specific room, and then you could get it back. Why put it in something that somebody like a cleaning lady could, you know, come across? Well, he's probably thinking the same thing about the room. Is uh, that's true. Yeah. I just thought it was weird having like this like table in the middle of the hallway that happens to have a drawer. <laughs> a lot of hotels do that. I've seen that. Really? Yeah. Really? I've been staying at really nice hotels or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hilton. I think some of you up your game. What the heck? I need a table with a drawer in a hall now. <laughs> be lucky if I get an ice machine. Anyway, um, we we'll have keep to the have light on for you. <laughs> <laughs> we happen to have a cleaning woman find the item because he had it in a plastic bag. And of course, plastic bags sticking out. It's like, all right, uh, what's up done. with this? She pulls out the bag because he couldn't close the drawer because apparently he was freaked out. And again, how did he catch up with the, the other guys so quick? Um, okay, what? All right, that was pet peeve of mine, number one. There's several for this episode. I'm just going to throw it out there. Okay. Cleaning woman finds it, drops the floating Dorito because that's what it kind of looked like. Metal Dorito. Metal Dorito. Picks it up, even though it didn't exactly hit the floor. Like, at that point, I would have been like, what is up with that? Yeah. And this is where pet peeve number two, because I'm like, what happened? She grabs it, ends up going through 14 stories, and falls onto a table. Now. That's gotta hurt. (laughs) She doesn't make it. Spoiler alert. Really? (laughs) But here's my thing. She she bends down, she holds onto her cart, grabs a thing, you see her and the cart disappear through what looks like through the floor. Right. But when she falls, only she's there. The cart has disappeared completely. I don't know if you noticed that. What the heck? Don't show me both of them falling and disappearing and then only one reappear. That worked my nerves for some reason. I didn't notice that. Yep. I went back twice because I'm like, hold on a second. There's a couple times that that happened. But our orbital team finds that she uh, didn't make it either. And all of a sudden, we have a whole lot of people in hazmat suits coming with all these weird special pillars <laughs> to collect it and put it in another special containment unit. It's like, okay, so obviously at this point, we know this is not something brand new. This is something they've dealt with. Yeah, right. So the question is, do we trust these teammates? Because it seems like neither of them trust each other. No. And they're bosses don't want them to talk to each other <laughs> but their teammates so it's like hmm what does this mean because i have to ask that question about everything i watch now <laughs> yeah well we know finola has experience with this but not with working with brian right and of course brian's this co- got a damn cocky attitude about himself <laughs> because he tells his boss oh yeah she's ready to marry me fighting her love for me or something yeah, yeah. <laughs> I figured that was just like, I didn't want a partner. And right. obviously, yeah, I did blah, too, blah, but I it's still, it was a copy or he line, was just being a smart ass in general yeah. to his boss because he doesn't really like his boss. I mean, I figured it could be either one. I kind of get the sense neither one of them wants to work with a partner on this. Yeah, you're you're right. Oh, whether it whether it's an international partner or someone from their same team, FBI or MI6, I kind of think they want to work their own cases. That's the sense I get. I almost forgot. How did I forget this? Oh my gosh. So, Michael Eklund's character was on the second balcony, and next 
next thing we know, he is like on top of a car, like he jumped. But here's my question. Because those other guys disappeared and we have no idea where they went, because it looked like they went just through a secret wall or something. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know what happened until the end with them. Was he pushed? And did anybody notice the briefcase? Was it there or not? Because I'm thinking, because what we know at the end, that those guys got to him, took the briefcase back and pushed him so he wouldn't talk instead of him just jumping. Because why would he jump? Right. And with the technology that we found out that they had later on, that makes a whole lot more sense. Which I did not think about until the end because that just kept bugging me. It's like, where was the briefcase? Well, they didn't give us as clear of a shot. I mean, they showed him from inside the hotel looking out through the window hitting the car. So they didn't give us as clear of a shot of him as they did with the cleaning lady in the banquet hall. Right. So, the you know, because one of my first thoughts when I went back and was really mulling this was, well, maybe the technology. But then I thought, well, he took his extra one and put it in that drawer. Right. So th that wouldn't have forced him. Like if he jumped off to try to save his own neck and then that, that gave him too much force. Right. And, he, that, and he, I mean, you know, yeah. that you know, that would make sense if he still had it with him. But he put it in that drawer that the cleaning lady found. So I think the two guys kind of blipping back in and pushing him makes a lot more sense. Right. Yeah. And probably taking the money back. <laughs> well, yeah. I wonder if we're going to find that out or if that's just something. I think they would have said. Think for yourself. I think they would have said something. I mean, they showed the scene where they captured the metal Dorito. I think they would have shown, you know, the money, be, you know, the briefcase being picked up. Yeah. And hey, so guess what? It gets weirder. No. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Because <laughs> we move on to a boy in a car who tells his mom about a high wire act. Hey, Steve, we... what do we always say about kids in these kind of shows? Yeah. <laughs> Creepy and they can't be trusted. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing good ever happens. Nope. So we see him pull out this little symbol banging monkey toy. And that's our second callback to Fringe. The first yeah. one being Michael Uckland himself, who mm -hmm. played Milo. Yeah. And we did see this toy in a much larger capacity on Fringe. Mm -hmm. yeah. And all of a sudden, the mom starts to cough, and we see blood gushing from her eye. Lousy CGI, by the way. <laughs> yeah, not the best. Oh, horrible. I was like, what is happening, though? Yeah. Right. Yeah, because you don't see kid, anything. But with the kid looking so calm, I'm like, you little creeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he definitely had, I guess we could compare him to the uh, the tooth kid from uh, oh my Channel gosh. Zero. <laughs> no, nothing compares to the tooth child. That was like, whoa. But just like this kid just being like, huh, yeah, uh -huh, that's happening. I'm like, oh my God, it's like from uh, Pet Cemetery, like the original right. kid from Pet Cemetery. Yeah. That's what I kept thinking of when I seen this. And I'm sorry, whoever plays the kid, but you were creeping me out. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he had a very far away gaze to his eyes and wasn't smiling or anything. So, yeah, he was creeptastic. Yeah, just the dead <laughs> eyes. And we see the car, you know, slowing down and slowing down and finally stops. And you go, how'd that happen? <laughs> She's dead. She's not driving the car. <laughs> I think the kid did that. Uh, that would be something, something else. And yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have surprised me either. Yeah. And he gets out, opens the door and just grabs her and kind of lets her fall to the ground. And off she floats. Yeah. 
What the hell? Yeah, like he's like, oh, this is normal. What the hell? Yeah. Is this some kind of weird new seizure? I mean, this kid's like not affected at all. And I don't mean like he's not floating, just like, meh, this is normal. Oh, he's affected, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A whole different thing, yeah. Exactly. And he just stands there and watches her. And still, that straight, expressionless face. Yeah. And calling her mom sure didn't make me believe that he felt anything for her. No. Yeah. I mean, what little kid, if something happens to their parents, gets out and throws them out of the car, basically. (laughs) down. I need to, (laughs) I'm going to drive this thing now. Yeah. Yeah, because when he's telling her about the high wire act and she's like, oh, that's dangerous. All of a sudden the eyes come up and looks at her like in the rear view. I'm like, "Uh, is this like that Twilight episode, Twilight Zone? Like the kid wasn't happy because you didn't respond the way he wanted to. And so now something weird's going to (laughs) happen. That's when the music comes in. It's perfect. It's like, you know, I was thinking of like the movie, the Twilight Zone movie with the first one with Dan Aykroyd. Hey, you want to see something really scary? (laughs) Here you go. Yeah, so this part was, yeah, it was creeptastic, but it really didn't make a lot of sense because we don't see a piece because he doesn't have one in his hand. You know, I kept looking at that toy thinking, what's it, you know, is that somehow got a piece inside of it or something? I was thinking that with like the metal. Yeah. yeah. Because it, we don't know anything at this point. Nope. And just all of a sudden, it's like the little symbols. I'm like, oh, that I thought it has something. I thought, you know, considering, you know, the framework of the show that he was kind of taken over by an alien or something. And, I wouldn't you have know, been surprised. Yeah. Nope. Because he was so, you know, monotone in his expressions and his facial look was just, you know, just frozen practically. And so I thought, well, that's not normal. I mean, kids can act any way they want, but that's not normal. And for what was happening and he wasn't freaking out, you know, or anything, I was like, he's possessed. (laughs) Gotta be. If I start seeing somebody bleeding from the eyes and then they drop dead and then they don't actually drop, they float. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think I'm sitting there going, let me go play with my symbol playing monkey toy. I'm going to be like, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) That's what any normal reaction would be. (laughs) Hello. Hello. So, well, we move on from that moment of bonding to um, a little more bonding, sort of. We see uh, Brian and Fanon uh, on a jet and uh, they got all kinds of equipment there and so she comes back and um, shows him information that she's garnered so far and he's asleep although he can tell that they're turning around which I thought was kind of cool he's got even the mask over you know those masks you wear when you go to sleep um, over his eyes and yet he can tell why are we turning around right How hard was that plain banking for the yeah no kidding yeah you know I was like damn why isn't he like falling off the couch or something. (laughs) So, um, and he's kind of amazed that she's still working and he tries to, you know, well, good job and everything. So now he begins, they kind of do a little bit of sharing with one another. This kind of gives us some of our human backstory here uh, to the two characters. Uh, He's saying that he's working with Orbital to uh, contribute after having served in Afghanistan. And uh, he wants the good guys to get this, uh, the alien technology
technology first. So that's why he's working on this. Um, and then Finola shares with him about her father. So this is where we hear more of her own personal backstory. Because what we've heard in the, the lead up to the show is that <clears throat> they both have stories, but she's got a, a really long family backstory that we're going to get into over time. Uh, so this was the first piece of it. And so Sounds the, familiar. Yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Olivia Dunham, maybe? <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Got some daddy issues. Um, and Finola says her father was her inspiration, basically, to join. And she shares with him that he was the first astrophysicist to see pictures from the Hubble telescope of the uh, spacecraft, which kind of tied me into the opening credit scene, because when they have all that debris uh, coming in and we see that thing out in space smashed up, my thought was that was like one of our satellites. Right. And I was like, well, crap, that ain't it now, because if she here's what she's saying. The telescope had pictures of the wrecked spacecraft, and there was a huge debris cloud. And in the opening credits, that looked like the beginnings of a pretty big debris cloud coming out of that crash yeah <laughs> uh so i was like oh okay well that kind of oh that goes oh so a goes to b and b go okay i got it all so the fact that he uh, was able to see it and then uh, and she also mentions you know with pieces falling to earth and at least brian kind of gives her kind of some consoling words that at least he got to see that um you know the what the hubble telescope had before he died which i thought was nice of him to do that you know because i, I guess it depends on how how her father died. Right. That's the other piece we don't know yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and we because, learned, we like, learned more about her father towards the end, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, I he didn't have to do it, and obviously there's tension here. I thought even though we kind of got thrust into this, and I get your pet peeve, I think they've kind of plopped us in the middle of something that's already started, which if you kind of look at fringe, that kind of sort of almost did the same kind of thing that Right. Fringe events had already been occurring. Yep. And this fringe division that uh, Broyles was uh, given to lead was just created to look into all this stuff. So here, we're kind of plopped in the middle of where this orbital thingamajigger, this international thing, has been created. But, you know, there's distrust. So obviously, this is fairly new. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... mind starting where stuff's already happened and right. start piecing it together. It's just, I'm hoping we get a little bit more like, why MI6 and CIA? I think they'll give and, us. And, you know, little pieces like that. It's like, give us, I want them to give it to us without spoon feeding us. Right. <laughs> so it's like, okay, that's hard. It's just the fact that they already have technology to collect this stuff, we know it's probably pretty far advanced. Oh, yeah. So it, it just should be interesting what we get from that. And those little pillars they used in the banquet hall stopped it from floating. It took, you know, it brought yeah, it. Yeah, it neutralized whatever it was yeah. radiating. Yeah, it, so that's definitely, you know, not something that they just happen to have lying around. No, they knew that it would neutralize it so they could collect it. So I'll throw an unwarranted Doctor Who reference. They reversed the polarity of the anti-gravity state. So. <laughs> hey, that might be what they actually tell us. You never there know. There you go. <laughs> As my throwback to Doctor Who. So, um, so then the last thing as far as they're sharing is Fanol is kind of seeing there's more of a human interest story to this whole debris falling scenario. And she thinks that there might be actually a reason 
which I thought was kind of odd. She phrases it that there's a reason for the debris finding Earth. Right, because she, it was so far away when it exploded. Yeah. And she's like, there's millions of planets and all these stars. And I'm like, well, the debris is going to fall whatever direction because there's no gravity in space. So whatever direction, you know, an impact will send something, it'll go that way. And, you know, the debris is heading towards Earth because you all these other things that hit that spacecraft was obviously going towards Earth anyway. At least it looked like it in the opening credits. Right. So, you know, so I, I thought that was kind of, I don't know if that was intentional or that's just the way they wrote the line, but it seemed odd to me that she called called it a reason for the debris finding Earth. I was like, and then she couches it as maybe it's a gift. Yeah, maybe. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and this is what's curious about this pairing is mm-hmm. you know, Brian is this military guy. Yep. So he's just get it and bag and tag it. That's it. Yeah. And Fanola thinks there's a whole lot of a deeper meaning to this stuff coming down and that, yes, it possibly could help humanity by actually finding this and putting it to good use. But Mm -hmm. as we saw in the opening, there's a whole lot of other people that might want to put it to nefarious uh, (laughs) uses. Well, initially, I I was thinking Brian is kind of a jerk, like his attitude. Absolutely. And Fanola is kind of naive. That's what I got for my first takes from these two. Right. See, I didn't get her as naive. I kind of got her as... Um, a little standoffish, as if to say, you know, look, I'm I'm from an I'm official. smarter than you. <laughs> well, maybe that, yeah. I think because he can kind of come off as pretty brusque, and so that kind of makes you think he's not as smart, right? You know, to compensate for smart, somebody will be kind of you know gruff with you, you know, kind of thing. And I think maybe she sees it, but I think she probably sees it as, look, MI6 is just as a viable organization as the FBI is, right? So, so don't kind of uh, count me out because I'm not an American. I'm not from an American entity. You know, MI6 is still, you know, we're still in the fight kind of thing. And we're supposed to be equal partners. So I kind of really didn't see her as naive. I just see her as at least what we've seen so far, having more of her father's influence and how she views the world. And I think Brian has something in his, because when we get to it later, when they interview the the sister of the boy, I don't want to say too much just yet, because we're going to come to it. When they interview her, he's got to step out of the room real quick. Right. When she shares her story with her mom. So I think there's some kind of parental thing going on with Brian that's going to come up later. Right. But I think she just kind of shows the the more human side. And like you said, uh, Steve, he, he's a military guy. He's just going there, get it done, bag and tag it. Two totally different ways of approach. Yep. So, so I like this scene. It actually kind of gave a little more humanity to the two of them uh, without trying to be overly sappy and, oh, uh, well, I'm nice and you're mean or you're mean and I'm not, you know, it kind of had a little more of a, a nice feel to it. I think it was, I thought it was pretty well written. I liked it. So. Let's go on to see what's happening next. Okay. We have a farmer calling up, uh, I don't know, does everybody have orbital on speed dial? Because (laughs) Yeah, they do. Apparently something weird happens. Let's call them. Right next to Fred's pizza. Right. (laughs) A farmer finds a woman floating in his field. Yeah, not exactly normal. 
normal. <laughs> she happens to be hooked on a partial barbed wire fence, and this is where my pet peeve number two comes in. Why do you cut things? Okay, you put on a glove to unhook the woman to find out what's going on, and then you don't even take the glove off right. Okay, if she's contaminated and could have something wrong with her, what the hell? Yes. Little things like this bother me. <laughs> I Every don't time know they. Why. Nobody scanned her. in hazmat suits. Nobody scanned her for radiation. I thought somebody was, or they were using like their no, they thing. no. Actually, Fanona did get a reading of from the area. her. Or yeah, did she get it from the gal? I think she got it from the gal too. Oh, okay, All right. I thought it was it just was the a area. level two instead of a level ten or something. But still, why are you touching her? Right, I don't think a latex glove is going to help you much. Yeah, because yeah. that was oh, one thing that yeah. Fanona figured out was she shouldn't be pointing that way because that's not the way the wind was the blowing. The wind's blowing. And the other thing I wanted... interesting. The, which I didn't expect, but when they showed, you know, the angle, I was like, oh, yeah. Um, the other thing I noticed was, and they didn't really make a point of this visually, except when they went to the woman's house who wasn't responding to calls about her husband. Uh, did you notice how cut off and barren that field looked? Yes. yes. I was like, was that caused by something? Because it didn't show us that they had that thing we saw we're going to get to in a minute that the body floats to, but there's nothing else around. That's like what we, I was wondering. Like we saw at the woman's house when they went to her house to find out why aren't you responding to calls. So I thought that was kind of, a, that struck me because that was real, uh, you know, stark thing that kind of caught my eye. And then Fanola uh, noticing the wind blowing kind of took my attention away. <laughs> See, I, I yeah, well, it's in Kansas. <laughs> so don't be picking on Kansas. Yeah, they're pretty <laughs> flat. There goes our Kansas listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Well, anyway, when Brian unhooks her in a very unscientific and unkeeping everything, you know, uncontaminated kind of way, she does float away. And thankfully, not too fast. They were able to follow her. <laughs> she was like zipping down the road um, and floats towards a weird little swirl of other bodies. It's like, what the hell? Yes. <laughs> Is and this that's happening what... in Kansas? Everybody's dying yeah. and then like flying into this weird little body tornado. Is this like Sharknado only? Body. NATO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's when I sent a message to Sean saying, holy shit. It's like, what? But if then Ian, I was Ian's, freaking out. Go ahead. If, go ahead. If Ian Zierling and Tara Reed appeared oh. in the corner, I'd have been like, off. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. And I'm out. But I kind of freaked out because we get the medical examiner, get all these bodies. Like I, I'm guessing they're weighting them down in the body bag because that'd be awkward. Got body bag balloons, but you know, whatever. Um, the examiner's name is Sharon and she's examining the body and they don't have any pulse, but what just happened? Because I'm sitting here watching it and all of a sudden the eyes are open and they're looking around. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> like, I was, like, they're alive, but they're dead? What is this? How are they alive? And somehow they're degrading, though. So I was kind of freaked out and, and exhilarated by what this could mean. They're not quite zombies, but what are they? They were kind of, she was approaching Walter Bishop era there. Yes. You know, like, they're, they're communicating, but they're working on a cellular level, but we don't know if they're aware or not, but they are deteriorating. You know, I was like, now nah, I could see Walter saying that same kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, it, we do get to see because they tried to trace back everything that the woman who was missing that they had just found um, was seen on a, a CCTV at a gas station, yep. and they're able to see a picture of a boy. And this is where where what you said, Terry, like maybe this is like an alien that took over the camera mm-hmm. or something. I was like, oh, what is he doing? <laughs> and I was hoping that it would be some <laughs> weird thing that you can see on the the CCTV image, like his eyes would flash or something. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just wanted it to get super weird apparently real fast because well, like they live or tornadoes something? aren't enough. What do you like? They live? You want to see like a skeleton face? <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. And I come here to shoot them and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> But right. it got weird, right? Because we find out that the kid isn't even that lady's kid, but he was calling her mom. So it's like, oh, what does this mean? Yes. <laughs> As we further this investigation onward, the wife of one of the dead men hasn't responded to calls to her home. So they go check it out. And guess what? They find her floating outside. Uh, that's and- going to ruin the family reunion. Okay. Yeah, I have I have a weird question. Okay, is where you see it. her, like Brian turns his head and you see a bike. Why was the bike covered in snails? Is that yeah, what it was a, covered with? I couldn't yeah. figure out what that was. <laughs> I'm looking at it going, I, yeah, because I paused and I'm like, did you? What? I thought it was rocks. Yeah. Was it snails? <laughs> Seriously, was it snails? I swear it was snails. Okay, and I was really confused because. It's like, why would there be snails all over it? Because they want to evolve into learning how to pedal a bike. <laughs> they want to ride a bike. <laughs> they want to go faster. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a step in evolution. Leave them alone. It's science. <laughs> yep. I didn't know there was... It looked to me like it were rocks or something, and I thought that's... That would be even weirder. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, as Brian wanders a little bit further into the forest there, which Kansas doesn't have many of. <laughs> we're in, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore. Right. <laughs> he finds a very large piece of debris. What size of that thing? And stares at it for a while and then calls in the reinforcement. <laughs> have them do their thing. <laughs> so they go inside the house and they find the picture of the boy and his sister. Mm. Yeah, they happen to find out that the sister was sent to boarding school only seven miles away. So they give her a call and she informs her them that her brother died in a car accident seven months ago. Uh oh. Hey, what? And he was cremated. Oh, oh no. What? <laughs> okay. Now the weirdness is, is ramping up. Right up our alley, right? Yeah. Right. And we see the boy get into another woman's car. The whole process starts all over again. Yeah. He calls her mom and tells her about a high wire act. I honestly thought, like, when the sister said this, like, somehow this kid alien thing, whatever he was at this point, because I had no idea, was trying to get to her because she was only seven miles away. Like, he kept trying to take people over to get to, get oh, to the sister. Oh. And I was like, oh, no, he's going to kill her, too. Oh, like, wow. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's pretty good, too. Yep. I like that. Because, like, oh, you left me because you're so close. Or, you know, that I, it was like all these weird things going through my head. And But I mean. is the same story keep coming up with the high wire and I'm like... <gasps> 
But he's got the women saying that, you know, responding to them like he's their son, like the first woman, mom, yeah, honey. And then this woman, he goes, mom, and she goes, same thing, yeah, or yeah, honey, or whatever. Like they're responding to him as though he is their son. Right. So a little bit of kind of brainwashing was going on as well. So that day, yeah, that kind of at that point still reinforced my thing. This kid's taken over by an alien. Right. Right. He was like, yeah. Mind melting them or something. I know. <laughs> and that's like, why their eyes were bleeding. But I like your idea of he was looking for the sister. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. That's pretty good. I like that. Right. Yeah. And so we do get to see how both of the agents respond in this situation. Yeah. Like you said earlier, the the poor girl is just totally upset. She's not over her grief because, of course, she tells them that, yeah, her and her mom just fought all the time and she her mom just couldn't move on. And so they all decided the best thing to do was for her to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. And you see Brian basically bail on Fanola as he can't handle it. And it's like, you're a big, bad military guy. What's going on here? And, you know, because then we find out that, yeah, Fanola's lost both her mom and her dad. And again, this was another reason that I was thinking the little boy was trying to get to her. Right. Yep. And that's where I think that he, we're going to find out more about Brian's backstory with a mom since she was talking about her mom or both of his parents or something because later he tells her you know well he was sorry he shouldn't have bailed but he had to get out of that room real fast yeah <laughs> you know and if you don't know what to say then you kind of look at your partner right and let you know give your partner a look and then your partner takes over the question and you either kind of sit there you kind of walk around the room and look at the knickknacks and you know maybe get a sense of something else while listening to the conversation I mean you know there's things you do you don't just so but that's he why did at least say excuse Excuse me a moment. But when you see him in the hallway, he has like tears in his eyes. Yeah. His eyes are all welled up. Whoa. What is this? I was not expecting that. Me neither. I thought she had said something that tipped him off to go find out something else. Right. And he was going to make a call or he was going to do something, you know, or look at that picture that he saw the two of them on the wall. So, yeah. So, um, we have to, we're talking about different responses. There were different responses to the wreckage. Uh, Finola goes out to the wreckage again. And while she's there, she sees visions of her dead mother. Yeah, it wasn't until she actually reached up towards it. Yeah. Because you know, there's a bunch of stuff just kind of hanging over this. You know, like dust or grass or whatever. Yeah, well, this was part of a dandelion. Dandelion, yep. And yeah. she just grabs it and Why does she boom. just touch it? Yeah. What is wrong with you? you it, that's why I was thinking, you're naive. You're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> big giant piece of debris oh, that you know, causes sh- a bunch of crap ha- to happen. But you know what? I think I'm going to touch this. <laughs> and you know I had the look on my face like, what is wrong with you? That kind of almost reminded me of the Doctor Who episode. It was a Christmas one where there was the current then and the first Doctor and they all the snow had stopped and he uh, flicks one of the snowflakes. It goes away and it comes right back to where it was. Right. Uh, so that kind of made me think. But I see what you mean now about the naive part. Yeah, I wouldn't, you know, I'd be like trying to try, you know, catch something inside a container so you don't 
don't touch it. Right. But don't touch something that's floating there. Yeah. Don't <laughs> nope. possibly get yourself sucked into, you know, this yeah. weird field of like floating dead bodies. What? Not yeah. quite dead. <laughs> totally mm-hmm. weird. And so she sees her mom. She's obviously very emotional about that. Uh, when we saw them earlier, when Brian first came uh, upon it, and then he kind of puts his hand up and tells her to, you know, hang on a second. He backs away from it. She gets visions of her dead mom, and she's very emotional. Uh, we later hear them talking about Isla telling them that she actually said something to her mom about if you hadn't taken uh, Kieran out to can- get candy, you wouldn't have had the accident. Right. So obviously that she was saying that they fought a lot. So just the emotions you could tell were just welling over, and certainly you could you could see in her face. I thought this this gal that played the sister was phenomenal. By the way, um, yeah. I said to Steve, I said I thought our two main characters were a little flat, you know, emotion wise. But I I thought this girl was spot on, you know, and you could see that that character after saying something like that while she's at boarding school was like, you know, I really shouldn't have said that, right? You know, <laughs> so damn, why did I say that? But she seems self aware enough that it was because of the emotion and because the mom couldn't get past it, right? Um, which I kind of thought a kid would say that because seven months, you're not going to be fully over it anyway. Oh, hell no. You know, (laughs) so, uh, but then uh, later Fanola tells Brian about her vision of her mother. This is after he's bailed on the uh, interview with uh, Isla. And uh, she tells her uh, that she was at the record site, saw a vision of her mom. And then she even says, she describes this, it felt my longing. Right. You know, for my mom. I got a quick question for you two. Since Brian was the first one that seen that big one and he big piece of the debris and stopped Fanola from coming over at first and everything that we've seen after that, like when Isla was talking and how he reacted, do you think that he seen something? Like he was close enough to see something and maybe what Isla said kind of freaked him out now that we know that the debris caused even Fanola to see something that she was longing for. Wouldn't surprise me a bit. Would make sense. Or do you think my tinfoil hat has too much tinfoil? No. That's why I'm saying I think there's more to Brian's family backstory that's going to come out later. They just chose to show Fanola's first. Right. To kind of show some of her family's hand, if you will, first. Or it may have, you know, not necessarily as family. It could be a a wife. Well, military. Yeah. Military person. Mm -hmm. You know, he could have been in charge of a group of men and they all got killed. Yep. You know, wow, we're all really going deep in stuff, and we well, if 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 what, yeah, and I'm just I'm thinking if if she's describing it as it felt my longing, then right. maybe maybe part of his serve, you know, giving back and serving his country, maybe this is also a sense of atonement because kind of piggybacking on what Steve said, maybe he did something as a mistake out in the field in Afghanistan that got another one or several of his fellow men killed, right, and he. He's carrying that and he's longing to be able to take that mistake back. So maybe that could be his backstory. It could be guys that he served with. And maybe it was just in general seeing his fellow guys dying in battle, or it might have been something that he did wrong. Uh, something that has a large emotional impact. Certainly, she's not over her mother or father's death yet. Uh, no, Fanola. She's not. That, yeah, that, she's lost her entire family. Her yeah, mom, her dad, and her brother. Yep. So all of those wounds are still pretty fresh uh, for her. Uh, Brian's may have been further back time-wise, but it might have been something that. That he's buried further inside of him. Yeah, so maybe the, you know, debris pulled it 
out. Yeah. Pulled it back to the surface. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah. For everybody listening, we don't have a clue. This is all what if. Yeah, what if. <laughs> you got some ideas, you know, let us know. So, uh, so then as they're outside, they get ready to leave the house. They kind of start piecing together. I love this part because they were really thinking together as one. This was kind of like an Olivia Peter moment. This was really cool. They were piecing together about the mother's joy at seeing her son again because they're saying that she longed for her son and apparently this chunk of debris picked up on that. Yep. And all of a sudden, there he is. He appears. And so she kind of gets sucked into, oh my God, he's here. And now she's one of the people bleeding and, right. uh, you know, floating because of that. And so they start saying that maybe that's the, that level of grief is so intense that it's kind of the debris is kind of playing this thing out with other women on a loop. That's not right. their, that's not their wording, but that's my wording. Right. So, yeah. So um, then we hear kind of something else to feed into that, that the medical examiner, Sharon, I kind of feel I'm going to like Sharon. I, she, she just yeah. <laughs> She's she's kind of like you know uh, Bones McCoy you know like yes. oh, again, come on now uh, and she here starts to hear a name in her head being repeated calls up Ryan tells him the name he says the name out loud in front of Finola and she goes that's my mother's name dun, dun, dun. why are they saying that are they connected to her like in ways uh, that we know I, well if not I think yeah and I think that might have started the connection when she walked to the site and saw her mother dead visions visions of her dead mother. Right. I think that connection has started. Ooh, yeah. Things that make you go, And let's talk about that wreckage site, shall we? Okay. We see everybody, because, you know, all hands on deck. They are trying to collect this very large piece of debris. I'm guessing they have really big pillars to use to put around (laughs) it now. Yeah. But we have an agent who turns. Now, I don't know if it was just me. When he turns and he sees somebody, I could have sworn at first he was looking at himself. Uh, and it, it wasn't until he, like he looks again that he sees the two buyers from earlier, or at least one of the two buyers. I don't remember if he noticed both. now. I didn't see the second one off. Yeah. But I swear, when he first looks and we see it, I thought it was supposed to be like him looking back at himself. Right. I'm like, oh my god, what is the debris doing to him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was really weird. So hmm. like that part was making okay. me going, you could have went really freaky here, but... Yeah. <laughs> and and then we see them both like swallow something and bam, they're transported away. It's like, what? What just happened? Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. It's like, all right, mutants. Are we in like the Marvel <laughs> universe? What's going on? I hope they didn't have to swallow a metal Dorito because that would really hurt. <laughs> I can't swallow pills without drinking a bunch of water with it. So I'm just like, oh, what did they just do? But we see the one dude who had tattoos on his fingers, which just made me think about the magicians and travelers. Whole other thing. Right. <laughs> and the other one was there somewhere, right? But the tattoo guy is calling his name and you just hear, help me, help me. And he turns and you just see him pull out a gun and fire because the other dude didn't make it. He was in the cement pillar underneath the bridge. It's like, what the? (laughs) Is that like Nightcrawler? Like he had to see where he was going and he, this dude totally screwed it up because that was pretty messed up. That's all I kept thinking going, how are you even talking? Like, 
like, oh, ow, pain. <laughs> that was a throwback to me to Fringe. Oh, absolutely. There was one episode where they were able to uh, manipulate matter so they could walk through walls. And when they're walking back through walls after robbing a bank or something, that the other cohorts split and this one guy gets stuck in the wall. Uh, but the other the thing that kind of I found odd was, uh, which threw me off visually, was that this guy who kind of melded into this uh, cement pillar, he was higher up off the ground a little right. bit. Because when the guy shot him, I guess, to put him out of his pain, because he knew there was no way to save him at that point, he aimed up. And I was like, what? Right. Was this like another creature or something coming <laughs> after? And then you see him in the, in the pillar, but he's elevated. Yeah, he's way up high. So I don't know if he was like, when he swallowed that thing, he jumped, you know? <laughs> he was in the tree watching or something? Yeah, it was like, that, you know, that's the only thing, because I only remember seeing one of them at first when the agent turns around to look. I didn't see both of them right away. I saw them both when they blipped out. Right. But, um, yeah, so it might have been he was up in a tree. I hadn't thought of that, yeah. But that was just, that was bizarre. I just I think their technology isn't quite as perfected as no. there was, they were hoping it was, because, yeah, having a, a teleporter like that would be big advantage in this uh, race to collect pieces, but uh, <laughs> you can't count you, on it. <laughs> not that it necessarily means anything, but did you notice that they, when they, especially when they were first making the deal at the opening of the episode, at least the one of them, I think they both kind of had British accents. Yeah. So maybe, you know, that might have been why MI6 got included with the FBI for this international force because maybe something got started over in England. Yeah. Ah. That maybe the FBI knows about, or maybe doesn't yet. One or the other, we don't know, but maybe that's how MI6 got thrown in this. Because I thought MI6 was kind of an odd choice. Right. I would have I would have figured Scotland Yard, which is kind of their equivalent of FBI, uh, but maybe because if that accent tells us anything, you know, and how they have this technology, and they seem to be just regular human beings, and we don't think that they're like a reapparition of a dead kid. Right. <laughs> you know, they seem to be real, alive adult men. Um, you know, that how did they get their hands on it? So weird. I want that stuff to teleport them. Harry <laughs> Vanderspiegel. <laughs> I will say a pet peeve, which actually comes into play a little bit further in the episode, but it has to do with the guy in the pillar, because that's a really big pillar, right? That's a bridge yeah. support. Yeah. And later we see that a big chunk of it, not just him, is cut out of the bridge support. And I'm like, what? How are you just going <laughs> to cut out a bridge support like that? And so, yeah, that was just a pet peeve. Rando, I know. But these little things irk me. <laughs> I need explanation. But let's go back. Brian, <laughs> calling his boss, who just seems like, meh, whatever. Mm. Like, when I first see this boss, I'm thinking, he is totally doing shit that he's not supposed to. Yes, thank you. And Brian is going to be caught up in it because he doesn't know that the boss is doing stuff he's not supposed to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And just with the, I'll give you just enough information, but hold back a whole lot and make you suspect your partner that like, this is, I'm not feeling his boss. I Yeah. Like the whole thing. Yeah. Like the body in the pillar. He was like, okay, I'll have the body transported here as if to say it's an imposition. Right. Yeah. Bizarre. 
<laughs> but anyway, uh, we have our agents, Fanola and Brian, going to the gas station that it seems that everybody who has floated away has started to end up at. Yeah. Because it's close to the accident scene where we find out that Kieran and his mom, or Kieran mm-hmm. had passed and his dad, mm-hmm. I apologize. Or no, it was the mom. Rewind. Wow. Yep. Mom Hello. didn't die. She just was there with him getting hit. Got it. Rewind. Mm-hmm. Hello. <laughs> Take two. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, we see a woman inside looking for a sour and sweet candy. Mm. Mm, What could that be? But anyway. (laughs) Ryan's stopping her and trying to talk to her. She's like, no, I have to get to my son. And like freaking out. And her eyes start to bleed. But outside, we see Fanola talking to Kieran, who was playing with that little monkey. Yep. And I'm like, (laughs) "Ah, it's the monkey. Yeah, just like you said earlier. Not the monkey. (laughs) I just was freaking out because they just made it look like they were connected. Right. Yeah. Damn you. (laughs) Now I will fear the nice decoy. (laughs) And Fanola is trying to be like, you don't belong here. And Karen's like, I wanted here. Oh, shit. Because that couldn't sound creepier. No. That was kudos to the kid for being (laughs) so good at being super creepy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When you see Fanola looking kind of scared and sad at the same time, and then flip back to the woman who's, like, freaking out and her eyes are bleeding, and flip back to Fanola, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? This isn't good. And then Fanola touches his hand, and flip back to the woman who is suddenly laying on the floor, but not because she's floating. Yep. And Brian immediately is like, shit, shit, shit. (laughs) And he turns around (laughs) and looks, and there goes the car. He's gone. What? What is happening? That's what I, you know, we we skipped the candy part. Yeah. He didn't get his sweet and sour candy, so no. Manola's in deep trouble. <laughs> well he start yeah, as soon as he, he as soon as you start playing with well, you always get in trouble playing with the monkey, but uh, <laughs> as soon as he started playing with that monkey while she walks up and starts talking to him, I'm like, Oh god. Yeah. And when Brian runs out of the store section of the gas station and she and the car are gone, oh, I was gone. like Yep. I imagine it's I, trying I, to like divert your attention here and there and i'm like it's the monkey no wait it's the kid no wait it's this you know i think they could have broken this cycle if they just let it go on long enough to where the next woman comes to the gas station goes in i'm looking for the sweden set well we're all out yeah (laughs) (laughs) and she had to go back outside and tell uh, karen i'm all out and he would have been like that would have screwed up the loop yeah you know yeah but it's a hot seller now so they're gonna keep it in stock i guess yeah (laughs) well brian shows he has some brains as he figures out the connection so he gets the daughter brought to where all the bodies are including her mom this was genius yes and he reassures her that none of them are in pain but you've got to reach out to your mom because we believe she's her grief is what is causing all this to happen and she tries for a good couple minutes no reaction from mom Ryan encourages her telling her she has to do it otherwise his partner's gonna be another one of their uh, floating bodies I love the line yeah I love the line where she says can she hear me and he goes she has to yeah oh I love that line that was yeah beautiful. not like you know putting any pressure on the kid or yeah 
no. Yeah. <laughs> this poor girl. Yeah, teen through. girl from boarding school. And it's like, hi, here you're going to save like all these people. Yeah. You've already been through hell and let's go through it one more time. But she eventually succeeds and they all wake up and go plop. <laughs> <laughs> At least they come down. Yes. And we cut to the site of the accident, and we see only Fanola, as Karen has disappeared along with the whirlwind. Yep. Thank goodness. So, yeah, that was a very intense scene. <laughs> I mean, this young girl just really has some acting chops, because she oh, really yeah. caught it this episode. Oh, yeah. That big you know kudos what? to her. She's older than... The- the girl was in the episode I'm going to talk about, but there was an episode in Fringe where they had a young gal, blonde hair uh, girl, I think she's a singer now, uh, played young Olivia when she was, they nicknamed her Olive. Right. Uh, and she was being abused by her dad and she runs into Walter's office. I won't give the whole thing away because it's a complicated <laughs> scene, but she runs into Walter's office, a younger Walter, because it's back in time. And that girl was just, could you please help me? Can you get him to stop? And the emotion that she showed. Right. I mean, she was younger at that age than this girl is in the show. I think the actress is in her teens or something. But, I mean, I kind of compared the two as being very summer, a young actress who just acted the, the daylights out of her scenes. Uh, and this girl in Debris, like I said, I thought the two main characters were flat. She brought it. And you could see this whole scene with her mom and when she brings her back and everybody else comes back, that her sharing all of what she was telling her and even her mom started to tear up right before she came out of it you could almost tell that for isla that was a cathartic moment yeah absolutely that, that everything that had been building up for seven months you know uh even saying to her mom and even when they had her muted and you could just see her mouth you know what she was saying you couldn't hear her you know like i need you mom and all this stuff it was yeah. like wow Wow. Mm. And you got to give it kudos to Brian for piecing this all together so quickly. Yeah. I'd have been still fumbling around with the lady inside the store. <laughs> yeah. Trying to all make right. sure she doesn't float off. You know, I'd be you talking to the, the walls. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah don't mind keep, her head. Keep her in here. I need to. Can you yeah, make sure your cooler, please? Yeah. <laughs> Space. yeah. Make sure she doesn't bump up against the Slurpee machine. You'll be all right. So, um. Yeah, I want a Slurpee. Thanks, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> I got to go float down the road. Hold on. At least you can have one. So yeah, I mean, I I was I I still would have been futzing around in the store and talking to the the cashier and being like, whoa, what's that? You know, and it's like uh, you didn't see what you saw. I wanted him to have one of the Men in Black things, you know, neuro, neuralizer. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been beautiful. So, um, so the, we go to the last section of the episode here, and we um, Finola's getting her final, you know, check out, make sure she's physically okay, and uh, they want to talk to the mom, and Brian says he should do it. And to me, he looked like he was still welled up in his eyes. I don't know if that was just uh, the way he, the angle they shot him at, but it looked like he was still had a little bit of tears in his eyes. And she's like, "No, I've actually gone through this." Right. So now. I need to talk to Isla's mom and, you know, kind of debrief them and, you know, do all that stuff, which I was like, yeah, that makes sense. So Brian gives his boss, Mr. Enthusiasm, a call. (laughs) 
and um, broils he's not. And uh, so the boss tells Brian that they've identified the body that was in the cement pillar. And he uh, is a former British national, former member of the SAS. Uh, so they got uh, the one hand was sticking out of the pillar. So I guess they got fingerprints. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which to me added to the creep factor, you know, like the body at the torso sticking out was bad enough, but just those fingers sticking out. I was like, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, he's former British uh, national former SAS. And uh, then he adds that the two buyers that were in the beginning of the episode were traveling with Dun- Finola's Dun- father. Dun- yeah, Finola's dad. Who Wait she a had second. Didn't you yeah. say he was dead? That's yeah. what I thought. Shortly so, after his mom died, her mom yeah. died because he couldn't deal with it. That's right. So what the heck is all this stuff? <laughs> so he's got it up on the screen. He says, I'm looking at him right now at, uh, what was it, at the airport? That yeah. The yeah. Shot him. yeah. So they had a, a camera at the airport and he had him right there on the screen. Said he was using an alias on his passport. Another throwback to Fringe, Alistair Peck. Yes. Which goes back to the awesome Peter Weller episode where we got the white tulip uh, yes. from. Uh, and, Definitely. Uh, uh, shout out to the Fringies. Uh, I, I saw that. I was like, oh, yes. That was one of my favorite episodes on Fringe. Yes. And uh, so then he tells Brian, because Brian's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, and he's like, I see him on the screen right here. And so he can hear in his voice. And he tells Brian, basically, don't tell Fanola, keep her out of it. And Brian. Look happy, at least. No. no. He was like, I, you know, basically wanted to say, I can't keep this from her. And he's saying, yeah, you keep it from her. And I was like, oh, that doesn't sound too good. No. But at this, this guy point, definitely when, is. <laughs> I wouldn't say with with Brian looking really concerned at that moment, that made me think he was a little less of a jerk. Yeah. So true. I'm like, yeah. okay, maybe, maybe I'll like you. I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what he did in the last 10 minutes of the episode, he kind of made mm-hmm. up for being the jerk mm-hmm. in the first 10 minutes because yeah. he saves Finola and now he's questioning his boss as to whether to tell Finola her dad is actually alive. Alive. Or yeah. is he? Or is yeah, he? That's what yeah. I was wondering. It's like, hmm. See, that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. Like if he's if he's traveling with those two guys, then he's not some apparition like Kieran was. At least no. I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't um, think so either. But it still could be have something to do with debris. The pieces they're carrying. You never know. Yes. Good well, that's the thing. I mean, even Brian earlier in the episode said, so what is it? Are we saying now that they resurrected the kid and added meat to his bones? Right. Yes. <laughs> you know, because he's like trying to get a handle on this and Fanola's like, no, no he not was that. cremated. Oh, that's yeah. even worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would be like the old Batman TV series episode when they had all the people from the United Nations into powder and they had to rehydrate them to bring them yeah. back. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> there's, a, there's a throwback. So, um, so yeah, Mr. Enthusiast you know, he gets off the phone, and then all of a sudden we see him riding on a little scooter. He's inside some big hangar, and where he ends up is with which is where a bunch of team members are working to apparently reassemble at least a piece of, if not the entirety, of the alien spacecraft. Whoa, what? Kind of yes. like they do kind of like they do when uh, airplanes crash. They try to get all the pieces and reassemble it in a hangar. Right. Except when they pull back, you see there's at least three separate pieces all floating. I know. Well, it yeah. looked like that one piece they were trying to put it back in or something to yeah, me. Yeah, like it's a puzzle. They're like, oh, I wonder yeah, if it's here. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Do you just kind of like keep putting it all over to see if it fits? Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what they're doing, yeah. So there was the part when they were in their little medical trailer or whatever. That was a, a huge... This is where I had a pause. Uh-oh. And I had to call my husband in because I'm like, what is this? Now, first of all, and because I was at the freaking doctor today, I know this. They were taking the blood pressure in the wrong arm. <laughs> and for some reason, I'm like, what the hell is that? I don't know why that bothered me. But... Her gun. Fanola had her gun. I literally paused this and I called my husband in to look at this. And yeah, I'm that weird person right now. Because I'm like, what is this shit? I'm like, why does she have her gun like this? And he's looking at it going, that's not right. He goes, if it's a cross draw, it would be a different type of holster, which would be slightly angled, which isn't right. normal. But he go, he's going, that's, that's not a right holster for a cross draw. And if she's right handed, because you turn and you see Brian have his in a normal position. It's not an inner pants holster. I don't know why this kind of thing got under my skin. The hell is wrong with you? I don't know what's wrong with me, but seriously. Now, so now if somebody knows more about this, I would like to know. First of all, I didn't know, I, know. I didn't know there was a correct arm for blood pressure. I've had mine checked on both arms. They will check it in the left arm if they're not getting a, a good reading in your right, but the right arm is the one that they almost always check it on because I've never seen that, that. maybe more direct. I don't know. Maybe out Midwest they do, but here they. Go. <laughs> All right, you got two arms. We'll flip a coin. Which one we're going to do? It's and the, they, they do and that when they draw blood, but <laughs> yeah. And as far as the holster, that maybe that's just a British way of doing it. Maybe that's a British type <laughs> of holster. They're opposite handed. <laughs> it could be. No, if she was left-handed, I totally I mean, see it, but it's a cross draw, and, and it's a straight up and down, so that wouldn't even make sense as a cross draw. I mean, if you're on the Southern Hemisphere, for example... <laughs> No, I'm serious. If I told the, you this didn't make sense, why so it irritated me. If, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you go to the bathroom, you turn on the water, you brush your teeth. When you get done, when you shut off the water, the water goes down the drain the opposite direction that it does here in the Northern Hemisphere. It's true. Okay, yeah. All right, so maybe because Very it's really. a different uh, country or maybe the other side of the Atlantic or maybe because she's got 11 toes instead of 10. Who knows? <laughs> uh, you know, maybe that's the kind of holster that they use. I don't know. Maybe and maybe she's got a, a nervous twitch or something. I, uh, I said it didn't make sense. Well, it damn it, girl. The hell out of me. Now you got me all uh, upset. Alright, we need all our UK <laughs> listeners yes, please. out there to please who've gotten in trouble some feedback explaining in trouble the holsters the in the UK and whether they're similar to the ones we use in the yeah, US. Who either are in the <laughs> Uh, police service who has someone they know in the police service or they've been arrested and they've seen <laughs> anybody. Additionally, in the U.S., <laughs> police don't normally wear it that way. Right. Even as a cross draw. So I know you're talking about the different kinds of holsters, uh, cross draws and all that. I'm just saying that maybe that's just uh, a British type of a thing for um, for agents that are not like regular, well, regular police typically don't carry weapons that often. But maybe for an MI6 person, maybe that's how they do it in England. I don't know. So, yeah, if anybody's listening who knows. Please you know, let me know. Yeah. Yes. Please. 
Because Sean's not pretty when she's upset. <laughs> she starts going for Slurpees and starts pouring them over her head instead of drinking them. It's not a pretty sight, folks. I eat raw cookie dough. You know, raw yeah. cookie dough. You got to be back from the edge, people. Bring gotta me back. Save, save her and save us, please. <laughs> Well, you know how we feel about this episode. <laughs> and we want to know how you feel about it. Yeah. <laughs> Please help Sean get over her issues. <laughs> Shoot us an email at contact us at fangirlzone.com because we'd love to hear from you. And while you're at it, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice as good ratings and reviews help other the fans, other fans of the show find us. Tell your friends about this show and we do hope you're enjoying the podcast. So for this episode of Falling Pieces, I'm Steve. I'm Sean Fangoss. And I'm Terry without any issues. 